121 today. It is a break from our scheduled Roman series, as Riley is enjoying the last day of his holidays. And uh, we're going to be looking at this psalm and seeing how God works, speaks to us, his active and living word. So that is Psalm 121. Psalm 121. It will come up on the screen as well. It's not listed up there on the screen, but the title for this is A Song of Ascents. Um, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. As we were reading that, some of you may have remembered a memory verse song that we did. So that's where it comes from, Psalm 121. May God's word be preached faithfully. So my family and I, we decided to go to a zoo in Sydney. I won't mention the name. Um, I don't want to put a bad name to the name. Um, because we had a bit of a terrifying traumatic experience, at least for Amalia, my daughter. We're at the zoo, and this zoo happens to have an open Australian um, fauna section where you can walk through and there'll be like wallabies hopping around, and um, there's also an emu that struts around as well. Now, emus are a little bit terrifying. Just if you think about it, they have no ears. They just have holes, <laughs> big holes in the side of their heads, and they have small heads. And long necks, they're these weird creatures that just kind of plod around. And, yeah, and um, this emu, it obviously was deemed friendly and acceptable to just wander around people. It's wandering around in this open Australian fauna section. And we take our family through. And I can't remember the catalyst exactly, but somehow the emu starts approaching us and making this low kind of... <laughs> sound and it puffs out its neck too puffing out its neck it's arching up its neck higher as well and at that time I had Tobias strapped in me uh, on me sorry and Amalia was below my legs and my wife was a little bit further on she was you're at the at the gate and this emu kept getting closer and closer going <laughs> it was very intimidating and I'm backed up against this pole this post and Amalia starts screaming and, and really getting quite hysterical as this emu gets closer and closer, its neck getting raised and raised. And I happened to be sitting down at that point, and I thought, I've got to stand up. I've got to feel a bit bigger than this creature. <laughs> Maybe I'll intimidate it. And I just kind of stood up and kind of, you know, puffed out the chest a bit. <laughs> and uh, I just approached the, the emu, and it... And it it did back down, and we quickly scurried out of that um, zoo enclosure. It was a very traumatic time. Um, and the fact that, I, you know, Amalia was there in that state of desperation, but she was desperately holding onto my legs, just bawling her eyes out. And all I could do in that moment was stand up, 
to keep her safe, to stand up and hope that the emu would back away. And it's, it's an image for what we're going to see in our psalm today. We're going to see that the Lord is your keeper. So we confidently trust in him. All my good daughter could do at that time was confidently trust that her dad would protect her. And that's why she was desperately holding on to my legs. And yes, she was feeling the strength of emotion, clearly distressed, but she knew that her safety rested in me, her keeper. And we'll see today our ultimate keeper is the Lord. The Lord is keeper. So we're to confidently trust in him. Before we continue, let's pray uh, that God may reveal himself through these words to our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are God and we are not. That you can be our strong fortress, our holder, our keeper. May we come to a deeper understanding of your truth and who you are today, despite ourselves. That we will rest in you because you are God. In your name, amen. The Lord is your keeper, so confidently trust in him. And we're going to see this firstly explored in verses 1 to 2. And my point in verses 1 to 2, which is, the Lord will help you. The Lord will help you. Now, continuing along the nature theme, you know, nature can powerfully draw our attention, can't it? You know, it can direct our gaze. You know, whether it's the stirring of a deep sense of awe and wonder, perhaps whilst you were camping and you were enjoying the, the beautiful water, the, the mountains, or maybe as you're camping, marveling at the stars, these pinpricks of light in the sky, puncturing the sky that normally doesn't have any light coming through it other than the noise pollution from the city. Or maybe as you're walking along the beach, um, you see the, the rolling waves and it draws your gaze out to the expanse of the ocean. This blue that never ender, ever seems to end. Or maybe it's the majestic towering mountains. You're at the base of this mountain and as you look up trying to see the summit, your eyes are drawn to the majesty, this awe and wonder. And we see here at the start of our psalm, the psalmist, the composer, and we don't know who it is, his gaze is looking up towards the hills or the mountains, depending upon your translation. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, in verse 1, which then prompts him to ask a question. He says, from where does my help come? So his eyes are being directed to the mountains or the hills, and this question comes into his mind, where does my help come from. Now, we're not told the suggestion, there's no suggestion as to what is exactly drawing his eyes up to the hills. Some commentators argue it's possibly these are the hills that surround Jerusalem, and maybe he's on his way, a pilgrimage to the holy city, and he's drawn to the majesty of where he is headed. Perhaps that is what it is. The epicenter of his faith. And we also see that this is a song of ascent, if you notice in your Bible there, a song of ascent. And it's a collection of 15 psalms that starts at 120 and continues to 134, which was possibly sung on a pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem. But we don't exactly know what the precise nature of this 
phrase means. But perhaps this was the psalmist being drawn as he's walking towards Jerusalem. And he's using, he's, he's seeing these hills. He's seeing them. And he is drawn to then ask the question as he views them. Where does my help come from? And in verse 2, we see his response to his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, regardless for the inspiration as to why he's looking at the hills and he's asking this question, and there are other theories as well, the point is, he says with confidence that his hope comes, his help comes from the Lord. Verse 2, help comes from the Lord. Now, he doesn't specify what kind of help, but what we do know is that he is certain that his help, whatever it might be, in whatever form, will come in his time of trouble and distress. It is guaranteed. And it's grounded in anchored in the fact that God is creator. Perhaps as he sees these hills, these mountains, he's, he's, he's drawn to the awe and majesty. And it reminds him that his help, his helper, is from none other than the creator of heaven and earth. The one who brought order out of chaos, who mastered the elements for his own purposes. This is the one who brings him help. He knows that whatever chaotic or distressing circumstances may lay before him, that his help comes from the creator of all that exists. Which brings us to the question, are we able to resound with the psalmist that our source of help for all of our times and troubles of distress is found solely in the Lord, exclusively found in the Lord? Because there are numerous voices in our society that claim to be trustworthy sources of help. Some are sources of help that help for a little while, whether that be um, the help found in a particular way of overcoming health needs through a diet, or whether it's the mental help found in abandoning traditional references of morality and ethics, or the help offered in pursuing materialism and associated consumerism. Just feed that appetite. You'll get what you need. If you just buy the latest product, we're up to iPhone 15 now. Clearly, number one was not enough, <laughs> which is true. It is not enough, and it will never be enough. Things that seem to try to offer this idea that you will be happier, greater, more helped if you just had this. Whereas what we need to say with the psalmist is, no, my help comes from the Lord. My true help, my actual soul help and security, I need to securely have that dependent upon the Lord who I know has authority because he made the heaven and the earth. Rather than the shifting sands of opinion and self-assessment, we lie to ourselves all the time, hence why we do New Year's resolutions every year. <laughs> Societal standards, which claim something is true and good, but really they're false and dangerous because they're not anchored on a centered point. And the danger is 
that rather than when we see the hills and the mountains of our distress and our trouble or the hills and mountains of our joy and celebration, rather than saying, my help comes from the Lord, we turn our eyes and we direct it to towers that are crumbling, to foundations that are weak, and that we lift our eyes to worldly advice and we don't go above the heaven to a source that created everything. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is no small claim. This help can be relied upon. So as we've seen in verses 1 to 2, the Lord will help you. The Lord will help you. And as we move on into verses 3 to 4, hopefully we come to see clearly from Scriptures, the Lord always watches over you. Always watches over you. Let's have a look at what he says in verses 3 to 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Notice his continuing confidence in the Lord. And it's latched firmly in his knowledge of the Lord. He says, with high modality, strength of confidence, strong degree of certainty, that's the Lord who will keep his footing secure. And the Lord will not slumber nor sleep. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He will neither slumber nor sleep. Whatever shaking, shifting sand or ground that the psalmist may encounter, he knows that he is sure-footed. He is safe and secure. He is soul bound to the Lord, and the Lord is the one who is going to guarantee his feet. He doesn't have to constantly worry about where his footing is placed because he knows that the Lord is the one who will not let his foot be moved. And it's guaranteed by the fact that the Lord will watch over him continuously because the Lord will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord will not slumber nor sleep. And this, just like the psalmist, ought to be a comfort for us too. We cannot help it. In our human nature, we have been designed to sleep. Have you ever thought about this? But every night when we rest our head and we close our eyes and we lose consciousness, as far as we're concerned, we are vulnerable to the world. We are in no controlled state. But as Christians, we have even greater confidence that we will have security and confidence in the Lord because he never sleeps he never slumbers he never wearies he never rests he is always the one who is watching over you always watching over you because there are many times in our lives aren't there where our circumstances can seem to undercut our feet seem to trip us up our sure footing and our confidence is quickly under and we find ourselves in sinking sand. You know, when, when you're in that relationship dynamic again, when you said, let's, let's not do this again. Let's not have this cycle of fight. Let's work through this. Let's try a different approach. 
And yet you find yourself in that same fight over and over again. And that sense of sure footing and ground from that person that you love ought to be supporting you. They're attacking the base of your security. Despite seeming to agree the other night that certain dynamics in the relationship need to change. Or perhaps it's your health. The weakness that despite your attempts to be diligent, every day being diligent in building physical strength, whether that be eliminating certain things, cleaning certain things, taking certain supplements, or trying different patterns of habit, your body just isn't recovering. It's letting you down. Your feet are undercut. Or maybe it's financially. You took a risk with an investment. You stepped out in faith. You moved to seize an opportunity, but it's not going as smoothly as you'd hoped. The financial contracts that you'd lined up are falling through. It's just not working out. And you're surrounded by debts and anxiety every night. It doesn't seem to be going well. These are realities that experience that we experience, and yet we can say that the Lord always watches over you. He knows this. You may be feeling surrounded by looming problems, mountains and hills of struggle and distress, or you may be feeling extremely low in the valley, wishing you were at the summit of the mountain. But come back to the Scripture that says, he will not let your foot be moved. It is God who keeps our footing secure. So whenever you are tempted to think that you are doing it alone, know that the Lord is always watching you. He is aware of what is going on in your life. According to New South Wales Department of Roads and Maritime Services, fatigue kills each year and it accounts for around 20% of road deaths in New South Wales. And a four-second microsleep at 100 kilometres per hour means you'll drive more than 110 metres with your eyes off the road. That's from the New South Wales Roads and Maritime. Four-second microsleep. Four seconds! 100 kilometers, you will have driven 110 kilometers with your eyes off the road. That's why they recommend taking regular rest breaks. Because the thing is, we need sleep, don't we? We need sleep. And yet, we find that the Lord here does not sleep or slumber. We cannot help but sleep and slumber. There was a time where, uh, I hate to admit it's a bit shameful, we're doing prayer here on Tuesday, Riley and Richard, um, <laughs> praying so fervently. I'm, I'm trying to pray there. You know, I'm getting the posture of prayer. And um, the next moment, Riley says, you weren't sleeping, were you, Joel? <laughs> what? Sleeping? Oh, let me just show you this. Whips out his phone, and they took a video recording. 
There's video evidence of it. Much to my shame, I don't know how it happened. The point is, I couldn't help it despite my best efforts. Despite my best efforts, I'm like, pray, just pray harder. Come on, just really need to pray. I fell asleep. Or think about those times you are driving where you've reached the point of fatigue and you're just kind of like, turn up the AC. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, you're turning up the AC. You're trying to do everything to wake yourself up. But the, the reality is, is we can't help but fall asleep, which is a, should be a daily reminder that we cannot control everything in our lives. We cannot. It is out of our control. The scope of us being able to hold onto that wheel is limited. We will fall asleep. But if we are anchored in God and we are reminded that he will not let our foot be moved and he will not slumber or sleep, then we can have the confidence, even though my life might be feeling like it's careening and going off the road, God will not slumber, he will not sleep, and he has your foot. It is secure. Your life, your soul is secure. That is what we need to remember. So when the rain might be falling, the flood is rising, the winds are blowing and beating, and you feel as though you're on sinking sand, if you're in Christ, you're not. You are standing on the rock who does not sleep nor slumber. So we have seen in verses 3 to 4, that the Lord always watches over you. Now we turn to verses 5 and 6, and we will hopefully see that the Lord is your protector. The Lord is your protector. Now, we read here, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall, shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I don't know if you remember, but the early days of spring, we had that heat wave. It was cooking. It was like we're all in a microwave or oven. Um, and I have to be careful with the sun, because as Jamie, quote, calls me a pasty kid, as she applies sunscreen to me, which I hate. But apparently pasty kids need lots of it. Um, <laughs> And I am looking a little bit rather tanned. And part of that is I've had the privilege, as I'm a secondary school teacher, to have a little bit of a break. And we've gone out and we've explored some gardens. We went out to Mayfield Garden um, out at Oberon Way. And it's this spectacular, sprawling 65 hectares, cool climate garden. Beautiful. So given its expansiveness and having to walk the whole thing, there's a lot of uncovered... Um, walking a lot. Now, Amalia got a little bit of red on her cheeks. Everyone else was fine. Me, I was like red as a tomato. <laughs> um, but it was worth it. But the, the thing is, we, we all experience those moments. If you've ever had to done work outside on a really hot, scorching day, the heat can just bear down on you. It feels like it's burning you. And it literally is sometimes. It's just burning you. We need the cover, a hat, sunscreen, um, or, or anything of the such to protect us from the searing sun. And so too we see here that we see the image of the Lord being our shade and that the sun will not strike us by the day. Here we see this image of the Lord offering us his protection by being shade. Think of those moments, whether it be at the beach and you've put up 
you, you haven't put up the um, umbrella or the shade yet and you're in the scorching sun and the sun is bouncing off the sand and you put up that cool and you just feel that drop, just that ah, kind of moment. Or you're outside, you may have done the crazy thing of going for a run in the middle of the day and you come back in, you're all sweaty and you come back in, you walk into the house and the AC's on. Ah, that drop of coolness, right? Here we see this powerful imagery. And in a society when this was written, an agrarian society, largely working out in the field, Near East agrarian society, they were familiar with the exposure and the danger to the harsh elements, particularly the sun. So it would have evoked this vivid imagery in their minds. Because shade, respite from the striking sun, would be most welcome relief. And then we see with the inclusion of the protection from the moon, now the moon doesn't burn you, last I've been out there, it doesn't, doesn't burn you. Um, but I think it's here to show us the comprehensive nature of God's protection. It's this literary device to say that God's protection over you, remember we see in this section, God protects you, is comprehensive, day or night. He will protect you. He shelters you at all times. What a comfort to know. In the severest storms of your life circumstances, in the burning, searing heat of parenting when your children will not listen and you think you're a failure because they will not do the right thing and they've jumped on your back again even though you've told them 10 times that day that it hurts you and you wonder, am I even communicating? Or whether it's the fact you're doing your uni assignment and you have spent hours and hours and you only get back a credit. And you think, why bother? I know, I know the person over there, they only winged it that night and it's, it's, they got a HD. Or whether it be the fact that you are just struggling because your grandchildren are not calling you and not connecting with you. And that pain, that searing loss of connection... There are those moments, those truly distressing, suffering, painful moments, which are out of the scope of our understanding, that are the heat of our trial, and they burn, and they blister us. But we who are in Christ dwell in the shelter of the Most High. We abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's from Psalm 91 verse 1. And we see this here. The Lord is your keeper. The shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you. The sun shall not strike you. Which leads us then to verses 7 to 8. Verses 7 to 8. We've just seen that the Lord will protect you. Now we see the Lord will keep you. He is responsible for you. The Lord is the keeper. The Lord will keep you. Verses 7 to 8. Let's have a read. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These are some pretty grandiose statements. Protection from all evil? How is this possible? Does that mean if we're experiencing evil and harm, we're somehow not under the Lord's covering of protection? As, you, as we've stepped through this, there seems to be 
increasing grandiose language of the Lord keeping you. How are these verses a comfort to a Christian who's experiencing persecution right at the moment? In a dingy dungeon, their tormentor about to see them. How could they have these words in their heart? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. How can they have that in their heart? It's too much being promised. Too much being expected of us to, to believe this. Is, is this blind faith? We ought to just think, well, I'm really struggling here. I, I'm suffering from, from disease. I'm suffering from absence of relationship and connection. How are you protecting me from all evil, Lord? And what we see here is that the confidence that we've seen the whole way through this psalm isn't wavering. He says, the Lord will keep you. High modality again, with a high degree of strength and certainty. The Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. Verse 8, will keep your going out and you're coming in three times. Will keep. He will protect. That's what we're told. And we have to remember that the psalmist lived in a context as well where faithful people died as well. In which faithful people were bitten by snakes that were harmed and died. Faithful covenantal people experiencing slander, injustice, poor treatment. And just like them, they experienced thorns, thistles and snares on their walk in being righteous. Because the reality is, is if you look at the breadth of Scripture, the righteous can suffer, do suffer, and the wicked can be physically blessed. Can be physically blessed. There isn't necessarily a correlation. If I'm righteous, therefore, that will equate to having physical wealth and prosperity and blessing. There isn't a correlation of that. So we need to see that Scripture interprets Scripture here. Scripture interprets Scripture. And what I mean is we need to understand the breadth and the depth of Scripture and the literary form here so that we don't misappropriate, misunderstand what is actually being communicated here. This is, after all, Psalms. And Psalms is considered um, wisdom literature to a degree. And we need to understand that it's poetic in nature. We need to see here that the, the, the writer of Psalms, as you look back, he's using figurative language. He's using language to paint a picture. To paint the picture... That the Lord is our keeper, so we can confidently trust in Him. These verses highlight the Lord's keeping of your soul. They highlight the Lord's keeping of your soul and His knowledge of your coming, um, going out and your coming in. As one person has mentioned, uh, uh, perhaps these verses can be best compared to the words of Jesus. He's talking to His disciples and He says this in Luke. Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 16 to 19, he says, you will, believe, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will put, be put to death. You will be hated all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance... You will gain your lives. 
How do we reconcile this apparent contradiction of Jesus' words? You'll be put to death, and yet not a hair of your head will perish. Well, verse 19 is the key. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Although physical danger is a reality for a Christian, although physically experiencing death is a reality for all of us, non-Christian and Christian, those who follow Christ will have gained their lives. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We see here the definition of life, that we need to lose our life in order to gain life. The use of life in a different way here gives us an understanding. As one, um, one commentator says, our flesh, our relationships, our feelings are painfully vulnerable for now. But our souls, our lives, as we see in verse 7, he will keep your life. Our lives, our souls are perfectly and perpetually safe. What a comfort. There's no evil that can touch you spiritually. Nothing. You are invincible, invulnerable. There's no reach of sin and its harmful effects to your soul, which can destroy your life. If you're in the Lord through Christ, this helps keep things in perspective. Whatever the struggle, remind yourself the Lord will keep you from all evil from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. And what more, what's more, as we look at this psalm and we bring it back to Christ, this should give us even greater hope. The one who made heaven and earth, he decided to descend and leave the security and comfort of being with his father to dwell on the very creation he made. Why? So that we could say, where does our help come from? From the Lord. He descended to our planet. He took on human nature. He experienced the depth of our sinful state on that cross. The heaven and earth creator did that for you. The Lord who does not sleep and will not slumber took on humanity, humbled himself so that he would have to sleep. That he was born to the physical demands of sleep. Think of that humility. The God who creates heaven and earth needing to sleep. He did this because he knows that the sleep that we face without him is death. And it is terrible. He did this so that he could walk to the cross and take the death that is deserved of us. That would mean that we would be forever separated from him. He took that and he rested in the grave for three days. He took that. He rested dying so that he could give you true rest. He was stricken. A day, the Lord did not protect the sun from the piercing heat, the burning, searing heat of your sin, your idolatry, your sinfulness, your covetousness, your impulsive thoughts. He took that on that cross 
He took that searing heat of God's righteous anger, wrath, burning purity, and he endured it on that cross. His foot did not stumble. He stayed on that despite having the ability to summon a legion of angels. He stayed up there. He experiencing the striking of the Father's wrath so that you, you could have the protection and the shade of your heavenly Father for all time. Jesus, Jesus took all of your evil, every drop of it, every drop of it. And he lost his life. Jesus, the God-man, died. Wasn't an apparent death. He died. So that you could say, my life he will keep. Jesus' life was poured out so you could have life. And that is why you can say with confidence like Peter, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again for those of us who are in Christ, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because as Romans says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So when we're tempted to look everywhere but God for our help, when we're tempted to trust in things which will not support us, remember the Lord is your keeper. So confidently trust in him. And he has guaranteed that through his son. We have seen today that the Lord will help you. Because of his son. The Lord always watches over you because of his son. The Lord is your protector because of his son. The Lord will keep you and your soul will endure for all time because of his son. Hallelujah. Let's praise God for that. He is a good God. Let's pray right now thanking this God that sent his son. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that you have given us in your son. Without him, we would be exposed. We'd be burnt by the wrath, the holiness of God. It would consume us. But we are given the shade, the protection of your love through Jesus Christ. Jesus, we can never repay, never repay you for the fact that you hung on that cross. And you hung on that cross for us. For your glory, because you had chosen us before the foundation of the world, for those of us in Christ, that we might be sons and daughters who will always have their souls guarded in you. And not a hair of our head will perish. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you so much. In your good name, Jesus Christ. Amen.